Hello there and welcome to Best Bad Movies, the podcast where we take a look at your favourite best bad movies and give them the love that we believe they deserve. I'm your host Sarah C and today back with me on the podcast, deep friend of the pod, is my wonderful partner, TJ Fogarty, thank you so much for coming back. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. What's a what's a deep friend? <laughs> That's a, a reference to a Drag Race podcast that I listen to, where friends are like deep friends of the pod. It's just in my my podcast lingo, so I can't. Um... Oh, sorry, I forgot your your part of the podcast okay. universe now. So right, listen, you have a monster in front of you, and you've had a coffee as well. They don't call means... yourself that. <laughs> It's so harsh on yourself. <laughs> so we had a coffee this morning and TJ has also got a monster in front of him, which is the equivalent of two and a half uh, coffees. So by the end of this, TJ is going to be as hyper as I was the other day when I had my very first full can of monster. And I nearly um, had to be escorted out of super value because I was crying laughing in the crisp section. Or I'll be asleep. I could be asleep as well. I have seen TJ drink a can of Red Bull and fall asleep an hour later. It's actually insane because I drank that monster and I felt like I wanted to fucking punch a hole through the window. I had so much energy in me. I was like that little girl in the meme with the yellow jacket at the baseball game eating cotton candy. I thought that there was fucking hammers in my veins Mm. and I just wanted to burst out of my own skin. I was ready to just start screaming on the spot. Yeah. You drink them every day and then work. Most most days. Yeah. 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 I don't know how you do it. Maybe there's something. Maybe if there's any doctors listening, maybe there's something really wrong with me. (laughs) You do have the strongest heartbeat I've ever... Like, I will touch your arm and I can actually feel your heartbeat under your skin. Mm. So maybe it's just that your heart is so big that it can take it. Yeah, well, something for the audience to consider as well is that uh, hearts don't beat, they count down. And on that depressive note... Today's episode, we are going to be reviewing Demolition Man, the 1993 blockbuster, gun-toting, explosions everywhere, classic movie starring Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes and Sandra Bullock and other people that aren't that big of a star now, so it doesn't really matter. Ooh. Yeah. This movie is so much fun. I love this film. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a cult classic. Mm. Um, It's got some bits in there that have still carried over into the ages. In 2020, Sylvester Stallone actually said that they were going to be doing another one. Now, I don't believe that because I hear a lot of people say that sequels are going to be made. And sometimes sequels don't have to be made. Yeah. You well, know? He's, he's running out of, he's running out of juice now. Like he needs to get them all done. Is he? He's getting, he's getting on a bit, isn't he? 76 I, I think he's 76 he looks incredible uh, now, yo the, the one thing I'll say is in the video where he's saying that there's going to be a new demolition man there's also a line of ever, coke under no I don't know uh, if you've ever seen um, those clips of Prince Charles where his fingers are so swollen they look like those huge sausages he's got yeah. that oh you're just te- <laughs> you're just telling me it's like is he he looks alright for 76 he and looks now he is, very well in the face I know all his blood are in his fingers is it <laughs> Listen, this man is birthed from the iconic Jackie Stallone. Yo. Rumpologist. Rub. Ghost surgeon herself. Absolute queen. May she rest in forever peace. Still performing ghost surgeries now as an actual ghost. Yeah, rest rest in peace the most. 
in case anyone doesn't know, Jackie Stallone, Sylvester Stallone's mother in 2006, went on Big Brother. Yo. And she was absolutely fucking iconic. She said that she was a rumpologist and she used to like feel people's arses. Yo. And be able to tell them either about her future or about like what you need now in your life. And then I can't find it, but I know I saw it. I saw a program where they were talking about like um, surgeries that had gone wrong. And Jackie Stallone said, she was in her 80s when she said this, that she was a ghost surgeon. That you would go in to get surgery done and your surgeon would be like, okay, we're just, we're just going to pop this mask on you now and we're going to send you off. The anaesthetic is going to kick in. And then the surgeon would leave and Jackie Stallone in her 80s would come in and perform your surgery. Would she have like a blanket over like a ghost or with the eye holes cut out? No, the ghost part is that you don't realise nor have you consented to Jackie Stallone coming in and doing and performing surgery on you. Are we talking big surgeries like? Big surgeries, big yeah. Big ones? Yeah. Like bypass? Probably, who knows? Fuck she hell. can do anything. She's a, a legend, so rest in peace, Jackie Stallone. Right. Okay, so uh, a few bits of trivia about Demolition Man. This came out in 1993, which was 29 years ago. It was directed by Marco Brambia in his directorial debut. He had never directed a movie before this. Did he start Bored Bia? Is this what this podcast is going to be like? Put down that monster. You can't have any more. Stop calling it there. You're very harsh. <laughs> um, yes, Marco Brambia. He, I think he only has like two other movie film credits after this. So not a not a big thing, but I think he kind of went more in an art direction. Uh, a little fact that I found out about this is in Kuwait, this movie is actually <laughs> this movie is actually <laughs> this movie's called Rambo the Destroyer. <laughs> oh, class! I suppose that's why his first name is John, isn't it? He's not Rambo though. I know he's not, but this his first name is Rambo. Like. Clearly they were just like, okay, we have to just capitalise off Rambo. Yeah. John. He's oh John. Like he's, His first name is, is Rambo's yeah. name. Like. So Demolition Man mm. uh, is actually called Rambo the Destroying Su- Kuwait. Super Rambo. The original writer of this movie, um, his name is Peter Lenkoff. He was inspired by Lethal Weapon. He wanted to just write like a cop movie. Love Lethal Weapon. He wanted to write one of these movies. And there is a nod to this in the movie as later on in Lenina Huxley's office, we do see a Lethal Weapon poster oh, okay. up on the wall. So there's a nice nod to it there. <clears throat> Yo. Peter Lenkov isn't the only writer of this movie. Um, the studio brought in Daniel Waters as another writer. Um, and he did a lot of rewrites on this. And in the early drafts of the script, it was just like a regular, degular, schmegular action movie just straight action no attempts at comedy but water says that his intention he just wanted to have like a lot of fun he didn't want it to be political or go into too much political correctness he clearly didn't want like a statement or anything he just wanted it light and fun i feel like that came across mm-hmm. i feel like this movie is very fun oh, it is. i think they got two actors who were able to have fun with it um, it's not bogged down it's so stupid it's so ridiculous and it's a movie that's it's set in the year 2032 and it's one of those movies that you only get in the 80s and 90s where their vision of the future, like the very near distant future, we're talking only 30 years down the line, is so outrageous. And I feel like a lot of movies now have to be like grounded in this element of reality 
but I miss these movies that are just like in 30 years we'll have flying cars or you know we'll have guns that can I don't know shoot out your dinner or something I don't know but I just miss those kind of movies that are like a bit outrageous in their imagination creative they're creative films I'm going to stick with what I said. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're creative. I think they're a bit of fun anyway. Sylvester Stallone actually passed on this project at first. uh, But he came back around to it. He liked the idea of these like two equal opponents. Yo. In himself and Wesley Snipes' character. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on doing something that I haven't done before. Which I also think is a lie. Because at this stage, he'd done Rocky. He had done Rambo. Yo. I'm just like, what's different about, what's different about this character? What's, what hasn't been done before? Is it that you haven't gone to the future in a movie? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that was it. Maybe he wanted um, his own kind of Terminator moment. I know Terminator went back in time and now he's going forward in time. Oh, maybe it's that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm the dense one. Yo. <laughs> when he did this movie, he was in a bit of a flop era in his career. So he had done, um... Rocky in, I think it was the 70s or the early 80s that he'd done Rocky. Don't forget, Sylvester Stallone is an Oscar winner. Can we just remember that he wrote Rocky Mm -hmm. and he won an Oscar for that? Yeah. Which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, But he was in this flop era in the 80s. He had this odd hit here and there. In 1992, mostly there. In 1992, he appeared in an action comedy movie called Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. And this was a critical and box office disaster. Now, Stallone signed on to this film because there was rumours going around that Arnold Schwarzenegger was actually interested in the lead. But it turns out Arnold Schwarzenegger said that he knew the script was really bad and he had publicly faked interest in starring in it to get producers to lure Stallone in. Lousy. Fucking lousy. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> Why didn't his mother feel his arse and tell him not to do it? <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> the coffees are kicking in, guys. So that was in 1992. But in 1993, he made his comeback. He made two movies back to back. Cliffhanger and Demolition Man. Both of them were box office smashes. Some were critically less acclaimed, Demolition Man, but that's why we're here to tell the critics that they're wrong. And this gave him a real um, revival in his Mm. career. So, which is great. We love to see it. Yo. Yo. (laughs) I actually have a little uh, fact as well about... Because TJ is going to be constantly saying yo in the voice of <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. That's not what I was doing at all. <laughs> but I have to ask you, was he saying yo throughout this film? Where's the yo coming from? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I actually have a fact for you about why he speaks the way he does. Because obviously he's known for this kind of slur in his voice that he has. And um, it turns out that there was complications during the labour that forced the obstetricians to use two pair of forceps during his birth and misuse of these forceps severed a nerve and caused paralysis in a part of his face and it causes like the lower left side of his face which includes not only just his face like his lips and his tongue as well Mm. and it gives him this like signature kind of like pouty snarly 
and the slurred speech, but he was very bullied as a child because of it. Oh, okay. But because of the bullying, he coped by bodybuilding yeah. and acting. So oh, Thank God for bullies, huh? Okay, you know... So, in terms of casting, obviously, I think these roles are perfect. Sylvester Stallone as our main hero, Wesley Snipes as our villain, and Sandra Bullock as our feisty love interest. Mm. But who had originally been... I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this. Who had originally been attached as the leading actor was Steven Seagal. Okay, yeah. And Jean-Claude Van Damme had been offered yeah. the part of the villain. Yeah. Which could have been a good movie. I don't think I would have liked it as much. No, I think Wesley Snipes brings a kind of lunacy to it, which is pretty good. So Wesley Snipes actually turned down this role several times and the producer and the director went to the set of the film that he was currently working on, which was Rising Sun, to try and convince him in person. And the director, he kind of explained what he thought the film could be and how like he was so passionate about the writing and the vision for the film. And the next day they got a call and Wesley Snipes actually agreed to do it. Mm. And the director, Bramby, is said of Snipes, quote, he works without rehearsing too much and he improvises a lot. The two of them, that combination of energies and the way they interact really did the movie a lot of favours. They completely respected each other and were really professional and they did get along. There was no ego or any competition between the actors. End yeah. quote. Cool. And you love to hear it. And I do really feel that Wesley Snipes did a lot of like improv. He was just throwing lines around the place. Yeah. Like there was no tomorrow. I'm totally here for it. I'm going to talk about it when we get to the plot. But yeah, and another uh, offer for the villain went out to somebody who would have vastly changed this movie, in my opinion. Mm. Jackie Chan. Oh. Jackie Chan was actually asked to be the villain and he turned it down because he didn't want to play a villain. Yeah. And I did notice that they actually do have a little nod to Jackie Chan in this movie at the end when somebody has been uh, fighting people and Sylvester Stallone says, where'd you learn to fight like that? Yeah. And that person says, I learned it from Jackie Chan movies. So I like that they gave that little nod there. Yeah. Here, here Jackie, here's what you missed out on. <laughs> you, you fucking loser. Don't ever. That's what they said. Jackie Chan That's what this. they did. I didn't say that. Okay, you're done. So this movie grossed $160 million. Grossed me out as well. This movie grossed $160 million worldwide, which is box office smash, I would say. And it spawned a spin-off of toys, video games, comics, a novel, and a pinball machine. Oh, very good. Everyone was obsessed with pinball machine versions of stuff mm, yeah. in the 90s. I feel yeah. it's just random pinball, like a Kiss pinball, and a Demolition Man pinball, and a Predator pinball. And Predator mm, the movie. The movie, yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify that. That's just very important. That's, yeah, yo. And also, um, Windows XP came with that pinball game. That was great crack. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so a little bit of a spoiler alert for this plot. A little bit. Yes. Obviously, we're going to spoil the entire plot. <laughs> However, I feel like I just need to preface that this movie is absolutely nuts. There's so many things happening. So this plot explanation is probably going to be pretty long. And if things don't make sense, just go with it. You shouldn't even be listening to this if you haven't seen the movie. The movie is so fun yeah. and ridiculous. Action heavy, quips heavy, just 
have a pint and watch it on a Friday night and then come back and listen to this podcast if you want to no pressure but um yeah I would highly recommend watching this before listening to us spoil uh the plot of the movie for you yeah and probably spoil many other parts of it as well like <laughs> spoil your enjoyment of it <laughs> that's your job that is my job that's why I'm here <laughs> okay it's 1996 Los Angeles for some reason is an absolute shit show everything the Hollywood sign is on fire everything is on fire are we talking about the movie now or yes we're talking about the movie okay. yeah and our man we get our first glimpse of our man who hasn't been named yet so in my notes I call him John Demolition for the first few points so our man John Demolition has been told that he's on a job to get our antagonist Wesley Snipes Simon Phoenix the psychopathic career criminal Simon Phoenix has kidnapped a busload of hostages and taken refuge in an abandoned building mm. in Los Angeles and is half on fire but some parts of it are not on fire so I'm sure they're all okay but they're not going to be okay spoiler alert <laughs> very good <laughs> thank you this is what yeah it's going to be so hard to explain this movie and make any sense so anyway John Demolition leaps out of a helicopter onto a roof Yo. firing as he goes down bang 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 oh, like the, the part where he jumped down as well like that would have killed anybody else like he would have bungeed and like broken both of your legs on impact yeah but like not Absolutely. even that like the way he f- he went down and kind of bounced up so hard like he should have been gone back up into the, the blades of the helicopter <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> yo <laughs> okay so John Demolition is fighting his way down the building to get to Simon Phoenix he's kicking he's punching he's shooting goons he's killing everybody as he goes Um, and we finally get our first glimpse at Simon Phoenix Wesley Snipes in these like iconic outfits, bleach blonde hair, two different colour eyes. It's absolutely fabulous. I think he's dressed so well in this movie. Um, and it's very Duragur because we are in a 90s phase at the moment. That sounds like a word uh, Sylvester Stallone would say. Duragur. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. There's a standoff. Our man, whose actual name is John Spartan not John Demolition, which I thought would have been a much better name, but there we go. John Spartan and Simon Phoenix have a standoff. And Phoenix, who is, he's like a true psychopath in this movie. Like, he's just pure chaos. He lights a giant puddle of petrol on fire, you know, because he has to live up to the name a Phoenix from the Ashes. Mm, so he yeah. has to go out in a big ball of flames. Yeah. Um. But John knocks him out and, like, picks him up, sandbags him on his back, gets out of the building. However, the building completely collapses. Everything's caught fire. All the drums of petrol have caught fire. And the building collapses in a big ball of flames. They actually did demolish an entire actual building hmm, for cool. this scene. Yeah, that's why it looks so good. It, it really did look good. Yeah. When it looks better than, down. than like if you, if you saw that in a Marvel film today. Yeah. It would look like shit. It would, yeah. Yeah, yeah it looked really well. Yo. So John has carried out Simon Phoenix. Why he didn't just leave him to die is a plot point that I don't care about, but I am going to point out. So John gets out and his supervisor is there and it's made very clear that John is a maverick, that he don't follow the rules, but he has to because he needs to follow procedure. God damn it. And Phoenix had actually lied to John. He had told him that there were no hostages in the building, which is why John Spartan had only carried out Simon Phoenix. However, another 
random cop man comes up and says that there are 30 bodies inside. So the hostages actually were in the building. And now they're dead. And um, Simon Phoenix is laughing and John Spartan is crying. Yeah, he's very upset. In the next scene, like I know it's a plot point to just like drive the plot along, but I cannot understand it. John Spartan is arrested and sentenced to 70 years sub-zero rehab in the California cryogenic penitentiary for the involuntary manslaughter of those 30 hostages. So basically, him going in to get Simon Phoenix out of that building was an unauthorised... Operation. Operation. Hmm. Like his mother's operations, they're unauthorised as well when you think about it. So he was never supposed to go in there. So they're saying that because of his actions, 30 people died, mm. as opposed to Simon Phoenix, who's the one that actually kidnapped the bus of people. And they now have him in custody because of John Spartan. Yeah. And yet John Spartan has gotten 70 years in cryo. Yeah. Whatever. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. There we go. So he is stripped naked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's very... His body looks like a series of pencil lines. It's just lines and cuts everywhere. He's mm. very muscular. He looks really well in this movie. Um, and he's placed in cryostasis, which is basically a big fucking ice cube. Yeah. And in this ice cube, uh, his behavior is going to be changed through synaptic suggestion. So they're going to put a little fucking beeper on the side of his head mm. and they're going to like subliminally uh, change his behavior. Spoiler alert, all they do is teach him how to knit. Yeah. I'm not even joking. That's pretty much it. Yeah. That is pretty much it. They yeah. actually subliminally teach him how to knit. Oh, thank you. So now we've got our title card and our credits are rolling over all these very close up angles of different parts of his naked body. And it's just like, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, get it, get it where you can. In the next scene we cut to 2032. It's now been 36 years since both John and Simon Phoenix were put into cryostasis. I just don't know why they're prisoners in these ice cubes. Just make them a prisoner in like a regular prison. I don't know. It gives me the vibes of like old school Batman where it's Mm. like you have Batman in front of you, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the head, give him a PB&J, a penis brain jaw. Yeah. Stop these elaborate things. He always gets out of them. And now to tell you my plan. And of course tell him the plan as well. Yeah, yeah. We are then introduced to Lieutenant Lenina Huxley, played by the youngest Sandy B. Sandra Bullock that I've ever seen. She's like a little cherubic baby in this movie. She's so young. She is the perkiest person in the world. She's got these like thin 90s eyebrows, this bob haircut. She's just such an icon. Los Angeles has now become San Angeles and they make it very clear that like it's this perfect world there's no crime everyone's all good but our girl she's not like other girls she's a cool girl she's special yeah she wants crime she's got a bit of an edge yeah she's bored by this perfect world she wants death she wants murder we also see this like mechanical box pop up out of the grass and spray this like perfect graffiti all over a sign. Um, and this is our introduction to the fucking mole people that are living yeah. underground that they call scraps. And listen, they're just hungry men. They just want some fucking scraps of food. Hmm. Huxley goes in and greets one of her fellow officers and says hello. 
by waving their hands in front of each other. So they both bring their hands into the middle like as if they're giving a high five but they stop about two inches away and then they they make little circles. Mm, So they just kind of like wash. It's like it's like a mime washing windows. Yeah. In front it of each other. A... And that's how they say hello. Now, this film found a renewed relevance during the COVID-19 pandemic because it was seen as like predictive when there were calls to end the practice of shaking hands and shortages of toilet paper, oh, which yeah. we will also get to. Yeah, yeah. Like, which would have been a great handshake. I actually think it would have been a good handshake during COVID times because you're not getting too close. but And it's kind of better than the elbow thing, which can be a little bit awkward. But my real question is, why is a fucking handshake necessary? When was the last time that you went to work and shook everyone's hand the minute you walked in? Mm. If I had to shake everyone's hand the minute that I went into my office, I quit my job. Yeah. And then they're just talking to each other saying, well, and you made an excellent point about how they talk. Oh, yeah. So they say things like, um, mellow morning and uh, greetings and salutations. And I was trying to think of like, you know, it feels like it fits in another thing that I've seen and that would be Star Trek yeah so what we're looking at here is like a, a race of aliens in how they talk we'll yeah. say like with Captain Picard or something like that yeah. and they're just these meek sort of aliens that are yeah. like being hunted by a stronger race of aliens but trying to fit in with humans and act the way that they do yeah exactly yeah I was thinking about this last night and I was trying to build this scenario in my head of where they fit into this universe of Star Trek. So I can see it now. You know, the Enterprise is cruising along. And uh, you get a... Captain, we're receiving a hail from the Luzarians. And uh, Picard is like, patch them through. And so they come up on the screen and they're like, uh, greetings and salutations. Um, we are being hunted by... Uh, <laughs> The global, the the galactic meanies, and they're looking to murder, death, kill us all. And uh, Picard, <laughs> Picard then is like, uh, let them perish. <laughs> oh. Oh so, so Picard broadcasts this hail to the entire ship so everyone on board can watch them all get pulled apart. And uh, then, you know, they think it's over then. And uh, Worf then, he's like, Captain... I've detected life signs fleeing on an escape pod. Uh, can we lock on to their energy signatures? Yes, Captain. Good. <laughs> Teleport them back into the ship. And so he does that and he goes, uh, Done, Captain. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, and that's that was, so horrible. Uh, that's what was going on in my head. I also need to point out that TJ told me this as soon as I woke up this morning. I hadn't even gotten out of bed to brush my teeth and TJ told me this whole story and I felt so bad for this fake family. I just wanted to have a little cry. Mm. That's (laughs) that's the Luzarians. Like, they're so unbearable. (laughs) We now meet what I would consider like the blueprint for Dr. Evil in the way that he looks. Chief George Earl. Now spoiler alert this man is not a villain and I don't know if this was a, a, like an intentional red herring but if this wasn't an intentional red herring this man was so horribly miscast because the minute I saw him I was like he did it Yeah, he's the villain he is dressed like a space Nazi 
Mm. Like he fully has and he's got like the really super bald head, the big round, like super circular glasses, yeah. this space Nazi uniform on him and he's a bit of an asshole as well. Mm. He's really furious with everybody. So the fact that he didn't turn out to be evil, I was like, what the fuck was that about? But I'm not the only one who feels this way about him because Sandra Bullock gets a talking down from him and she goes around the corner and she calls him a sanctimonious asshole and this is the first time we see someone get a ticket from the wall mm, yeah so in this utopia that they have they have all these little machines all over every fucking wall that are listening to you wherever you go and if you say a swear word you get a ticket for saying a swear mm-hmm. so Simon Phoenix is awoken from cryo and he's brought up for parole mm. like this man kidnapped 30 people we see later on his list of um crimes oh yeah and it's absolutely huge and they're like you're up for parole and there's a reason for all this in the end but i was still like what the fuck so he utters a password that releases his cuffs and that password is teddy bear yeah i mean like we're in the future but we're not are we that dumb Actually, yeah, we are. Now that I think of this whole movie, yeah, it is that dumb. Mm. So he whoops everybody and he just turns around and goes, Simon says die because his name is Simon. And he absolutely kicks the shit out of everybody. This is a thing that is dropped in three or four times in the movie where he just says Simon says, but I don't feel like they do it enough to make it like his calling card. Just once or twice in the movie, he's like, Simon says die. Simon says. Hello. Yeah, basically. And he also mentions that he doesn't know how he knows the password. Mm. So we know that something's up. Now, Wesley Snipes began training in martial arts when he was 12. And I feel like you can really see it in this movie because the way that he kicks, the way that he punches, the way that he poses, it does have that martial arts choreography kind of look behind it. Like that man can extend a leg now. He has a fifth degree black belt in Shotokan Karate. Okay. He's a second degree black belt in Hapkido. Mm-hmm. He's trained in Capoeira and in a number of other disciplines, including Kung Fu at the USA Shaolin Temple and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and kickboxing. Christ, yeah, fuck Jackie Chan. Who needs him? <laughs> I'll tell you why he didn't train in. His taxes. Oh. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> so he gets out of the building by taking one of the warden's eyes on a cartridge pen for some reason and in the police station all these alarms start going off and the robot on the wall say that it's a code 187 has occurred and they have to like future google what a fucking code 187 is because they don't know and a 187 is a murder death kill no murder death kills have happened since 2010 so because of this all the cops are clearly like soy boys yeah they're all just fucking soft as velvet they don't know how to do anything because there's just never any crime so they wake up Angela Lansbury to come back and solve the crimes oh my god no it's not they know who did it they don't need it solved hmm. they need it fixed okay I don't fixed. think Angela Lansbury is the one for that well you can't unkill someone you're not going to fix gonna, it like what like hug him and therapize him she'll catch him yeah Actually, there would be a spot for Angela Lansbury in this movie. And that's that like weird therapy robot that's out on the street Mm. that we see one of the citizens be like, 
I just don't really feel like I'm special. And the robot's like, you are very special, John. You bring joy joy to everyone that you surround. Yeah. Or some, oh no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Brian Mulch, you are special. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. So the cops realise that it's Phoenix and they bring up a list of his offences, one of which is tax evasion. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also lots of other horrible ones on it. Many horrible ones. Tax evasion is on it. That's the worst. If you, if someone out there doesn't know, in 2008, Wesley Snipes was sentenced to three years in prison for willful failure to file federal income tax returns. Mm. Question, TJ, did he get the idea from this movie? I think he did. I think he loved the character so much he wanted to embody uh, part of him. So Phoenix is able to hack into one of these weird therapy robot computers for info and he doesn't know how he's able to do it. He's like, I don't even know how I can do this. I just can't. This is really cool. And his fingers are going 90 on the thing. like They are, yeah. And this voice just starts coming into his head saying, kill Edgar Friendly, the head of the scraps, the main leader of the scraps, kill him. And he's like, all right, fine. Now, this is a point that I just need to to say the the names in this movie are clearly they've done it on purpose it's one of my favorite things in movies which is when they name characters after the characteristics of that character yeah so our main hero is john spartan yeah who is a warrior uh simon phoenix the bad guy goes out in a big blaze of fire and then rises from the ashes and comes back someone later on in this movie says literally Phoenix has risen from the ashes. Let's mm. go get him. Yeah. And then you have the head of the scraps who, as we can already tell, are just people looking for food. Mm. So they're actually nice people just trying to get by. And his name is Edgar Friendly. Yeah. So the cops are heading to go and see if they can pick him up. They literally need instructions on how to arrest somebody. Mm. This is how soft and soy boy they are they actually haven't a clue about how to do anything and Simon Phoenix is just fucking with them at this point and absolutely whoops all their asses so we cut to this grand council looking motherfucker in of course all these futuristic looking robes um, who has your favourite a manservant yeah. with him and his name is Dr. Cocteau again with the names but yeah. there you go because his thing looks like a toe. Is that why? Is that I'd what you're saying? Like, yeah. I think that's. I think so. Big yeah. dreams, little Willie. <laughs> <laughs> so he consults with. I don't know if it's like the rest of the council or just other heads of the city, but they're all on these like weird steel-looking parking meter screens. Mm. Um, and he calls the Nazi chief of <laughs> police and tells him just like get this under control. Like it's all going to be fine. You just need to get it under control. Anything just within get your power. Anything within your power to get it under control. So, Lieutenant Lenina Huxley, our lovely Sandy B, is a 1990s aficionado. She is obsessed with everything 90s. She has all these posters on her walls. She has all these like gizmos and gadgets and action figures. And when they're coming up with ideas of how to stop um, Simon Phoenix, Huxley asks, well, like, what did they do before? Like, how did they catch him before? And they realise that he was taken down by none other than John Spartan, who just happens to be also cryogenically frozen. And Huxley shows like a news video clip of news footage from the 90s of John Spartan destroying a $7 million mall 
to save a little girl whose ransom was $25,000. And that's where he gets the name Demolition Man because anywhere he goes, he just absolutely fucking destroys the place behind him and he just leaves it an absolute mass of rubble. And also in that news clip, the little girl tells the news reporter to fuck off, which (laughs) I also really appreciated. That was good, yeah. And this makes the cops realise that like, it may be an old school uh, villain needs to be taken down by like an old school cop yeah. to come and fight him. So they unfreeze him and they wake him up. Turns out, and this had never been mentioned, he had a wife and a daughter and his wife died in an earthquake, um, a big earthquake in the 2010s and a daughter and we just don't know what happened to her now. Mm. There was never any mention of this. I thought I saw in doing my research for this, I think in either the comics or the novel, there's a scene where like his wife and daughter come and say goodbye to him before he's frozen. But like, it would have been nice to show that like this man has a soft side. Like he is capable of having a family because all we see is like Destructo Man. Yeah. Destructo Man. Yeah. yeah, That's what it should have been called. All we see is he's literally Rambo the Destroyer. Yeah. So he wakes up and he comes around and he wants a smoke and he's like, get me a Marlboro. But... There are no marbles to be found. They don't even know what marbles are because in this world, anything that's not good for you is bad and bad stuff is illegal. Mm. So the following things are illegal, right? Smoking, alcohol, caffeine, meat. Being bald. (laughs) Clearly not because our main Nazi chief of police is bald. He's not a Nazi. He's actually... A fine chief of police in this movie. He is. He's an upstanding. Uh, he is. Yeah. He's just a bit. He's just justice. a bit crotchety and trying to rein in John Spartan. But now that I think back on it, he is. He's out absolutely of right. Yeah. No. He's he's absolutely right in his his worries and, and concerns about yeah. what's going on because he just they just showed him footage of him just destroying things, <laughs> you know, and he's they know he's called demolition yeah. man like so absolutely incapable of taking any orders so clearly will put everybody in danger on a mission yeah so yeah smoking alcohol caffeine meat salt contact sports Mm. bad language uneducational toys chocolate gasoline anything spicy anything spicy anything spicy that's racist and abortion is illegal alright but so is pregnancy if you don't have a licence So John is given the choice to either go and get Simon Phoenix or they're going to put him back into cryo. So John Spartan agrees to do it and he gets dressed and goes to the toilet. Now this is the most iconic scene in the whole movie. I'm going to put up pictures on it on the Best Bad Movies Instagram if you want to see what we're talking about. He comes out of the loo. It's not what you're thinking as well. It's not what you're thinking, no. So he comes out of the toilet and he's like, where's your toilet paper? All I could see in there are three seashells. So Lenina Huxley lets everyone know that back in the 90s, they used up wadded bits of paper to when you go to the bathroom and everyone's just like laughing and they're just like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is going on? So in the toilet, there is a toilet and then there's a little ledge with three seashells on it. Da-da! And that's just what you use. So this has gone around the internet for years of like, how do the three seashells work? It's just left to your imagination. It is, yeah. Now, someone has drawn how they think that the oh, seashells okay. are meant to be used. All right, okay. And it's just the funniest drawing. The writer said that when he was trying to come up with ideas for like a futuristic restroom and what it would look like, he called the other writer, um, Larry Karaszewski, for suggestions. And Larry was on the toilet when he was talking 
to waters, which don't do that. Don't answer your fucking phone on the toilet. Like, just leave Why? a ring out and ring him back. You're on the toilet. What if it's important? Okay. Anyway, uh, Karzuski just looked around his bathroom and said he had a bag of seashells as decorations in his bathroom. And that's what they decided to use. That's how the idea came about. Yeah. That he just looked around and said what he saw. Yeah, like the worst game of Ice Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another little tidbit is that in the video game Cyberpunk 2077, three shells are found in the bathroom of the player's apartment. Oh, cool. So that's a nice little nod to it there. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Spartan's really annoyed. He just wants some fucking toilet paper. So he goes over to the ticket machine on the wall and says this. Thanks a lot, you shit. Violations of the verbal morality statute. So much for the seashells. Thanks a lot, you shit brain fuck face, ball breaking, duck fucking pain in the ass. It dispenses a ton of tickets and he uses the tickets to wipe his arse. Yo. Future hacked motherfuckers. Yeah. Beat the system. So the way that this future San Angeles works is that everyone in town has got a microchip in their hand and this microchip is coded uh, in their skin. It's designed by Dr. Cocteau. So everyone is like traceable, trackable, figureoutable. It's just like pure 1984 shit. Hmm. And in this scene, Sylvester Stallone is just doing the absolute most in acting throughout this whole movie it's just very like what do you mean I'm so mad oh he was just great did you enjoy his acting in this film oh, I loved it yeah yeah, yeah he was but brilliant he, yeah because he just didn't he he played that maverick you know yeah. he didn't give a shit he did yeah but there was also like a lot of overacting going on mm. which I was really here for whoa yeah he was just like I'm going to make sure that you know in this moment that I'm angry and mm. then I'm also going to make sure you know that I'm happy or that I'm confused I'm going to be like huh? yeah it's all in the eyes because his mouth doesn't work So they realise that Phoenix is going to go and get guns. That's the first thing he wants. And where do you have guns? Fucking history museum. Spartan has Loaded a guns. Now. Loaded guns in the museum. Oh my God. This is so ridiculous. Spartan just has a hunch. He's like, it's a cop thing. I was like, if they have guns and work in ammo in the same fucking museum, I'm just done. Like, I'm just done. This film is on another level. But there's no such thing as crime, so it never come into their heads to separate oh, the two. God. Still. Yo. This this goes back now, I feel like, to the last time we were talking about the smallpox being kept in the fridge. Hmm. Like, it's not necessary. Yeah. Why don't you just get rid of the ammo? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're living in the future. I'm sure you have, like, a blueprint of it somewhere of how to make ammo if it's ever needed. It's just absolutely crazy. So, Simon Phoenix gets his hand on some guns he plucks one off a mannequin and says, excuse me, Rambo, I need this. Yeah, this good. is like this Wesley Snipes improv that goes through this whole movie. The quips in this movie, I have to say, everything is a quip. Usually, you know, you'd have like a standoff or something and a few lines will be exchanged. And then at the end to like round off this conversation, there might be something, you know, like a pun in there. Every line was its own pun. Hmm. Every line was its own quip. Any interaction between um, Spartan and Phoenix had 30 quips in it. Yeah. I loved it. I was just rolling my eyes at you for like an hour and a half. I was just like, oh, here. Yeah. I loved it. It was relentless in a good way. Yeah. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah. So Spartan goes in armed with, when I say, I think they call it a glow stick. This isn't mm. like the shit glow sticks that Lara Croft had in Tomb Raider. Yeah. These are more like batons yeah. that have electricity in them. Um, there's a gunfight in the armory. A lot of back and forth, as we just said. It was great. And then they fall through the glass in the armory part of the museum into like the, the under, basically the ruins of Los Angeles. Yeah, like the same way in Pennies in in town in Waterford, the way they have the, the old walls underneath. It was just like yes. that. They have another little shootout down there and then Phoenix escapes up to the main San Angeles and he runs into Dr. Cocteau. I still can't get over that name. It's actually so stupid. Um, He tries to shoot him. But no joy, he's actually not able to. And this is when we realise that Dr. Cocteau is the one behind the subliminal messaging. And he's the one uh, given Phoenix the instruction to shoot um, Head of the Scraps, Edgar Friendly. Yeah. He runs off and then Huxley congratulates our man John Spark. She's looked up all his escapades in the Schwarzenegger Presidential Library. Mm. So in this universe, there is an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So, and he's president or he was he president he was president yeah, yeah. <laughs> yo so Dr. Cocteau has thanked them for like saving his life and he invites them to Taco Bell for dinner and Sylvester Stallone's like fucking Taco Bell really but it turns out there was like a war for the names and Taco Bell oh, franchise won the war, rights yeah. to name every restaurant Taco Bell interestingly in the European version of this movie, they actually replaced the Taco Bell signs with Pizza Hut because Taco Bell is like unknown in Europe. Yeah. So they they sold off the rights to that to Pizza Hut. At the table, Dr. Cocteau was asking John Spartan if he enjoyed his time in cryo. Was it just like, wasn't it just like a big long sleep? Wasn't it just fabulous? It was a nightmare. And John Spartan lets him know that it was actually a nightmare that he could feel and hear and Cry. he was conscious. Yeah. When he was in there. So he was just living this 34 year nightmare. Um, but then he gets completely distracted. Full ADHD. He's a man on a motorbike outside. And he's like, oh God, it's a cop thing. I've got a hunch. i got to go out and see what's going on. So he runs outside. There's a little explosion. And all the scraps come running out from the gutters and from the sewers. And he realises. John Spartan realises that all they're actually after is food. These actually aren't bad people, like the cops are telling him. They're not responsible eat, for all the bri- for all the crime. They're actually just looking for food. Do you think they can eat? <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> no. So Huxley drives Spartan um, back to her apartment building because she's saying, you know, there's a, um, a domicile down the corridor from mine and you'll be able to stay in there. And... John Spartan starts talking about his daughter because they don't know what happened to his daughter so there's a possibility that she's still alive. And this is the point where I started wondering is Sandra Bullock meant to be his daughter? Yes. And this is where it got really weird because then there was a moment where they both reached for the radio and there was this like (gasps) hand touching. Yeah. And then I was like hang on a second is this his daughter or is this his love interest? Both. Because I think she might be the right age. I couldn't tell. And then it got really weird because they got back to Sandra Bullock's apartment and she asked him to have sex. And she asked it like one of your fucking weird space robots. Hmm. Um, one of the Lazarians, yeah. One of the Lazarians, yeah. He agrees because who wouldn't? She's an absolute babe. But then all she right. brings out, like, oh, first of all, hasn't he just learned that his wife is dead? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. It's the future. And so she brings out these weird headsets and they sit opposite each other, like about six foot apart. Yeah. And they, and go, in, they go into Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. <laughs> 
And all of a sudden, they're having like this epileptic inducing slew of strobing hallucinations in these weird colours and these horrible sounds. I actually had to turn the volume down. I thought yeah. I was going to have a panic attack. On another little tidbit of information, the development of erotic games for the Oculus Rift virtual reality headset Jesus. has been compared to the virtual sex scene from there this is, film. There you go. John Spartan is really weirded out by these headsets. He doesn't know what's going on. But Sandra Bullock is also then disgusted that he wants to do the actual like hunka chunka as he calls it. And he goes in for a case. But my queen Sandy B is like, no get out because no means fucking no bitch so he goes off to his own room to I'm sure absolutely just pull the wire off himself in my research I found out a subplot involving Spartan's daughter was actually cut for pacing reasons and this led to confusion at test screenings where audiences thought that Sandra Bullock was the daughter and reacted negatively to the scene where they were about to have sex so I wasn't the only one you weren't the only one Mm -hmm. it seems insanely obvious yeah. And as we watched it, they never again mentioned it once no. in the rest of the entire movie. The scene where they were in the car and they kind of touched hands, it was that Sandra Bullock was going to look up and see if she could find anything about his daughter in the system. And he was like, no. Yeah. And just left it at that. Yeah. And they never again mentioned his daughter. I found her. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Originally, Spartan's daughter was going to be one of the scraps. Oh. Okay. And there is actually a scene where they... Is she one of the burgers? There. <laughs> <laughs> there is actually a scene where she's living underground with Edgar Friendly's resistance and you mm. can see her in one of the shots but they clearly just cut it in a really shit way. Mm. Um, There's no need for it. Fuck it. Like, you know, you don't need that shit. You don't. But also yeah. don't leave half of it in because it's really confusing. That's what she said. <laughs> So back in his room, John Spartan sees the surveillance footage of when Phoenix got um, out into San Angeles and confronted Dr. Cocteau. And he realises that he didn't shoot Dr. Cocteau when he normally would have because that's who he is. So he realises that his hunch is right and Dr. Cocteau has something to do with this. He's up to no good. There's something going on. Mm-hmm. We also have a scene where Phoenix confronts Dr. Cocteau and tells him that he wants him to defrost a load of his goons to help him um, kill Edgar Friendly because he doesn't trust anyone they're all too soft they're all just soy boys so he needs his good old guys mm-hmm. he needs to get the band back together yeah. so that's fine the next day John Spartan has somehow knitted Huxley an apology sweater mm, an iron jumper an iron jumper an iron apology jumper and they're in the car and he's like I actually don't know how like I just have this desperate urge to knit I have never knitted before I don't know how Uh, I know how to do this, but it's all I want to do. And she explains that when he was in the cryostasis, part of his rehabilitation program was that you're matched with certain skills and trades that like match your disposition as a person. Mm. And then it implants the knowledge of how to do that and a desire to want to carry it out in your mind brain. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, why the fuck am I knitting? And all of a sudden Simon Phoenix is out here and he's fucking able to do kung fu. He's completely literate with computers. And all he is doing is fucking killing people. So they look up his rehab file. And it turns out that he was implanted with all this fucking mad combat and murder death kill shit. And they realise that this has been done on purpose. So they go to confront Dr. Cocteau. Who tells them like, listen, whatever, I don't give a shit. Um, You'll never catch me now. <laughs> ah. 
And as he is leaving, he tells Spartan, be well. And John Spartan replies, be fucked. Yeah. And that's why we love this man. I hope that was improvised as well. Because that was, that was great. I hope so too, yeah. Be so. fucked. <laughs> John Spartan heads underground into old LA to find Phoenix. And he goes with um, Huxley and a couple of the other cops. He's like, listen, this is where he is. He's not going to be up top because he can't do anything up there. He's going to be where you can't go, which is underground. So they go down. They end up among the scraps where he finally gets a beer and a burger. But it's actually a rat burger. It's a burger made out of rats. Yeah. But you know what? You take it where you can get it. Exactly. But yet you can get uh, branded Budweiser, I suppose. That's part of the product placement in Mar- Marlboro as well. Marlboro's, yeah. Taco yeah. Bell. Yeah. So, you know, Budweiser, freely available in the sewers. Uh, burger. No. Is that because it's basically sewer water? Is Budweiser nice? I've never had beer. I don't drink it. So they're down in Old LA and they meet Edgar Friendly. And his gang of cronies, one of which is Jack fucking Black. Yeah, for a split second. For an absolute same. split second. Yeah. I did spot him because I'm the only person in this house with 2020 vision, so no surprise. Uh, and Spartan tells Edgar Friendly that Cocteau wants to kill him. So, you know, obviously, enemy of my enemy is my friend. We're all going to get together on this. So Phoenix has assembled his goon squad and they open fire on these fucking soft boy cops. They're just like, what have they got? Fucking batons. Well, here mm. we go. We have everything from the armory. Big shootout happens and Phoenix gets in a car, heads up top to San Angeles and Spartan, oh my God, John Spartan finds a perfectly shiny muscle car Oldsmobile Mm. that someone had been working on beneath the ground and takes it up top and absolutely destroys it um, in this big mad car chase because always muscle beats tech. Yeah, of course. Of course. The 90s were better. Well, we saw this. This is a continuing theme then when it goes into like uh, the Fast and the Furious that the muscle cars will always beat like the cars oh, all yeah. revved up with tech as America. well. So, yeah. America. We see this at all points. This was the point in the movie where TJ started to fall asleep. <laughs> hmm. So not, not out of boredom. I was just pure. I was just tired. It was. Yeah, we were getting to kind of like 10 o'clock at night. So it was it was, was getting was, to that point. It was so late. <laughs> These late nights are killing us, man. You I know, know yeah. burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. So there's a big car chase through the streets. Huxley is, she's finishing off what they started in that bedroom. Now she is raring to go because she's finally getting to see some action. She's like a fucking alley cat. And John Spartan gets onto Phoenix's car where Phoenix reveals that the hostages on the bus at the start of the movie were already dead in that building. So John was not responsible for their death. You which also fiend. means that he's basically been in cryo for nothing. Yeah. Because he actually did arrest a man who had killed 30 people. So yeah. good for him. Um, Spartan gets him out of the car, takes the car, but crashes it into the police station. And then all the scraps come out. Ha ha. And John Spartan is like, hey, these guys are my friends. Give me a couple of guns. And they give him a couple of guns. And they run off to go and get Phoenix. And Lenina tells... Nazi space chief of police to take his job and shovel it Hmm. because she always gets these wrong and they go off for the big final chase the big final battle to be clear as well the the Nazi chief of police he's actually a nice guy he is actually a nice guy yeah yeah. I'll put a picture of him up on the Instagram and you tell me if you yeah you tell me if you'd look at this man and think that this man is not like the evil baddie he genuinely looks like 
Mike Miss, Myers looked Mr. at him Warcrime. and was like, oh yeah, this yeah. is what I base Dr. Evil on. So we find out that the reason why Dr. Cocteau is doing all this is to make a society that's like absolutely perfect with the order of an ant colony and the beauty of a pearl. But Phoenix tells him, and he is absolutely right, you can't take away people's right to be an asshole. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it really is. And he shoots Cocteau and then throws him on a fire that is lit in Cocteau's office. Yeah. A few minutes later, uh, Huxley and Spartan get there and the body is gone. Now, this is not some roaring blue flame fucking Bunsen burner fire. This is like the, the fire that we'd have in our stove in the winter. Maybe he got out. Oh my God. He absolutely did not get out because all his clothes were left there. But like the fucking smell in that place yeah, must have just been absolutely disgusting. Yeah. They fight with the goons and these deaths that they have, like, you know, a goon will get a knife thrown at him or a shot fired at him. And it's real kind of like, throw yourself back against the wall. like. And I miss these kind of deaths. You know, there's none of this just kind of like throw the head back and you're down. I want these really dramatic deaths back yeah uh, my favorite one now would be from robocop original your, robocop yeah do you remember when your man gets the oh my god the chemicals poured on him and he's like melting that was that was something else like robocop is another movie that we'll have to talk about at some stage even though it wouldn't qualify in terms of its rating on metacritic Love it. robocop was a movie that i had never seen and that tj had seen and when we watched it i actually couldn't believe I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was actually outrageous the way that everybody was getting killed in this movie. It was so excessive. It was so over the top. I was screaming laughing. Yeah, because it was. It was a funny film. It really was. I think I was just expecting it to be like shit. Not in a way of like we're laughing at it. It's intentionally funny. It is. It really is. The new one was not intentionally funny and you could really tell. Yeah. Trying to make fun stuff serious unless you have someone very, very skilled and talented doing it sometimes it doesn't work yeah so these fights are where we get the comment um where huxley says that she learned all her kicks from like old jackie chan movies and she says that she now understands that violence is necessary and that's a pretty quick turnaround because like also would you not think that it's not necessary because he had a perfect utopia also is maybe is it necessary but like it's horrible like mm. she straight up killed a man and she's like yeah cool which lynn lends more credence to the fact that she is in fact his daughter it's in the blood, like. Oh, demolishing yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> Demolition girl. Spartan then electrocutes her. He doesn't want her to have to be involved in the end of the fight. It's just too much for her. She's too much for a rookie. She's too innocent. Cause she, is it because she's a woman? Probably, yeah. yeah. She's Actually, the I forgot, speaking of, the line of toys that came out, there was like seven action figures. None of them were Lenina Huxley. Oh, that's I bad I thought form. she was a pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought she was pretty cool. Spartan electrocutes her. Puts her in a chair. And I hope you'll like, forgive me. I hope you'll understand. <laughs> and he goes out to chase after Phoenix, quoting this line. Send a maniac to catch a maniac. Phoenix is now in the cryolab. He's getting ready to defrost the 80 criminal criminals that are in there. One of which is Jeffrey Dahmer. And he is incredibly excited to get him out, which... I haven't seen the new Dahmer series, but from what I've learned, didn't Dahmer kill a lot of men of colour? Allegedly. Like, I mean, we don't know if uh, Dahmer is guilty or not. Like, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Spartan gets there and it's the big final shootout. It's got one of my favourite things in old cheesy action movies, which is like the double gun fists, Mm. which is when you have a gun in each hand and you shoot like 
two from the left, two from the right, one left, one right, bang, bang, left, right, left, right, and you're you're pushing them out of your body like you're pointing yeah. them. Is that, is that kind of John Woo kind of stuff? Is that... Does John Woo do Don... No. Donkey Kong? Does John Woo do Gun Kata? I think, what was that um that film? Very, Equilibrium. very famous. No, I know Equilibrium. But there was another one. Uh, Bullet something, was it? Or... I don't know. Who's in it? I don't know. Can you tell me anything about the movie? Google it there. Google it. Okay, I have a laptop in front of me. Bullet something or... John Woo. Bullet in the head? No. Bullet time? I don't know. Just look for... Just list out some of his films. (laughs) Um, Hard boiled. That's it. Hard boiled. (laughs) Hard bullet? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It had had bullets in it. It was starring bullets. (laughs) (laughs) They They played a main role in it. Okay. Yeah. Hard boiled. Yeah. That had like that double-handed pistol action (laughs) that he's known for and lepping about the place Mm. and all that. I know, if you haven't seen the movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale, there is a a thing of like, that they created for it, I think. Gun-fu. Called like gun-fu, gun-kata, where you're putting them in, you know, you're almost using the guns and shooting. It's a dance. In a very choreographed, yeah. Mm. In a very choreographed. This is not that. This is just like old school, like bang, 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 bang. Yeah. There's explosions everywhere. There's bullets everywhere, your favourites. There's quips everywhere. Phoenix gets the drop on Spartan, but Spartan smashes a weird stick on the ground and one of those little balls falls out, hits the ground, and it's the one that at the start when he was getting made into an ice cube made all the jelly freeze. So as soon as that hits the ground and smashes, everything starts to freeze. Spartan leaps up into the air so he's not touching the ground and Phoenix becomes... A man, a big block of ice. Yeah. And John Spartan swings around and kicks his head off his body. Yeah. And that's the end of uh, Simon Phoenix. Yeah. No longer rising from the ashes because now he's cold as fucking ice. Yeah. And then the entire cryolab explodes and John Spartan runs out of there screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah. Once again, fulfilling the destiny and the prophecy of him becoming demolition man no matter where he is he's absolutely destroyed this lab he has now killed the 80 criminals that are in there as, as well as Simon Phoenix and who's to say that all of them were guilty he wasn't guilty very true you know he could have killed a bunch of innocent men depends what they were in there for what yeah. were their crimes were they mm. the worst of the worst criminals in which case what was he doing in there yeah are these just like Joe Schmoes who was like tax evasion well it doesn't matter because they're all dead now they're all dead all every them. single one of them yeah. and died, no one cares they died screaming in the fires melting the ice and because they were, they were all conscious like he yeah. was so they all saw this fire yeah. happen and they oh this is getting too sad <laughs> I don't want to think about this moment. anymore yeah that's very bad so Spartan comes out and becomes fucking Johnny Peacemaker uh, between the cops and the scraps and it's just like listen lads be grand yeah. you have a shower you get a little bit more dirt on you and everyone's like yay and all of a sudden everything is okay and for some strange reason Dr. Cocteau's manservant who's been there aiding and abetting him the whole time isn't arrested hmm. but is brought off by the scraps to be like yeah come on we'll get your hair cut we'll get your hair sorted and I was like what? Yeah. Oh they were going to kill him. <laughs> Do you think they actually? Gonna, they were going to stuff him down a manhole face down into Do you into think the burgers were now going to be manservant burgers? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah I think so. Yeah. Burger man. Yeah. <laughs> so Spartan then kisses Huxley and she is delighted with this fluid transfer as she calls it. And the movie closes with John Spartan asking the most important question. 
which is where is my daughter just kidding he doesn't actually say that at all he doesn't mention his daughter at all yeah, he says he there's just one thing i want to know how did the three seashells work yeah because he found his daughter like. <laughs> in sandra bullock yeah so that's the most important question is how do the seashells work mm. and then this song comes in lads when i tell you the song starts coming in over the ending credits I and me and DJ looked at each other with the most quizzical look on our face. It's a song called Demolition Man um, by Sting and Grace Jones. It's so bizarre and so jarring. It sounds like two songs, two completely different songs in different keys yeah. are playing at the same time over the credits yeah it's what a stroke sounds like it really is mm. it was terrible I was just like what a fucking horrible way to end this movie he doesn't yeah. give a shit about his daughter and there's a terrible song and that's the end of the movie TJ, what did you think of this movie? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was so it was so much fun. So good. Mm. A lot of fun, which is what we love here in Best Buy movies. Movies can be bad, but if they're fun, we're fully on board. Yeah. Do you even feel like you'd need to have like a point to watch this movie? No. No, you don't. So you don't like I think that's the, the theme with a lot of these films. Like you you don't need anything else to enjoy yeah. them. They're just fucking great crack, like. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Really good fun. Great to see everyone just having fun in a movie. So this movie received thirty four percent on Metacritic, which is scandalous. Now the user score is eight point one. So once again, as we always say, the critics are wrong. They can be wrong. And in this case, they absolutely are. Drastically. Drastically. If you were to rescore this movie out of 100, what would you score it? I think uh, in my head I had 80, which mm. actually lines up pretty well with the, the user score. Yeah. I think 80 is a, a good solid score yeah. for that. Yeah. This is a movie not to go in and like take seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But like what I love about it as well is films of that era where it's a lot of practical uh, special effects. Yes. You know. I think that's that's one of my favourite parts of it. It kind of it brings you into it more like than what I was saying about the Marvel films mm-hmm. where it's obviously like you you almost fucking disassociate from the film like you're yeah. just you're out of your body watching it just seeing all these buildings collapse because you know it's all bullshit like. Yeah. I want to see real buildings collapse and real people die. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very easy for a lot of studios to probably fall back on CGI because in some cases I don't know if it's cheaper but it's less dangerous um, and some of the stunts might be feasible without the use of CGI however try. that's exactly what I'm getting to if you can do it and if you have the balls to do it hmm. and if you have Yo. the vision and the drive to do it you can and an excellent example of this in the modern day is Mad Max Fury Road hmm. yeah Mad Max Fury Road is I, I don't know if there's any not that if there's any CGI in it there's an incredibly small amount of CGI in it and a lot if not most was done with practical effects yeah. I think it really shows they cut off it your feels arm so visceral they did not cut off her arm they did not cut off Charlize Theron's arm for it. it but I think it really it just looked amazing it felt amazing that 
fucking movie. Don't have coffee when you watch that movie because that movie feels like it's about to kick in the heart. Mm. <laughs> it is just so action fueled, like you're on the edge of your seat, but it is a true showing of like how good practical effects can be, how they can enhance your movie and that you can do them. Yeah. If you really want it and yeah. if you have the vision for it. Yeah, because like in <clears throat> Demolition Man, they're like, let's just blow up a fucking building. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Yeah. I would also rate this movie very high. I would probably rate it either an 80 or an 85. I was thinking about this last night. Who could I see playing these roles? So I had to think about the main roles of John Spartan, Simon Phoenix and Lenina Huxley. So I have a few for each category, right? Tell me what you think. So for John Spartan, who I could see playing John Spartan, you need someone who's strong. You need someone who can carry off that, you know, um, I'm a maverick. I can also get a little quip in there, but I'm serious about what I do. You know, I'm a tough guy. Yeah. So I've three picks. I have Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Chris Hemsworth. Mm. Who I think would be a good pick. And to flip it, if we were doing like an all-female version or something, Florence Pugh. Okay. I think she could pull it off. I think she is a badass. And I yeah. think she could get a few quips in there. But I think she could still be that kind of more serious side. Mm, okay, yeah. Yeah. For Simon Phoenix, the people that I have down, you need someone who is able to improv able to just get into a role and be like I am just going to fuck up this role I'm going to have so much fun with it I'm just going to be like a psychopath I'm just going to be absolute pure chaos I'm going to be doing what I want and I'm going to be fucking loving it and I can't be afraid to lean into it so who I had for that is Chris Evans oh yeah yeah who I think actually does have quite a good comedic streak he was good in um what was that he was the baddie in one of the the grey man yeah yeah, that, yeah yeah he was really good in that mm. Jason Momoa Oh yeah. I think he could be very good as well because he's got the moves, you know, he's got the look. Mm. In a flip then, Kiki Palmer. Um, Do you know Kiki Palmer? No. She used to be, I would have known her from like a Nickelodeon show called True Jackson VP. Um, She's just so fabulous. She's the girl that's in the meme. Sorry to this man. I don't know who this man is. I am so sorry. Sorry to this man. I don't know who this woman is. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry, to this, so sorry to this woman. She is in Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope. She's the lead in it. Okay. I have been championing this girl for years. She's so funny. Mm -hmm. She can sing. She gives me this real like Angela Bassett. Just give me the same energy. I absolutely love her. I'm hoping now that Nope will just send her off into the stratosphere. She's incredible. But I feel like she'd be able to like really just have so much fun mm. in a role like this. And I feel yeah. like she'd be able to improv it really well. And then probably a bit more of a boring pick. But I think, you know, maybe if they felt like they needed to bring in that kind of energy. is Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, yeah. She could kind of do it as well. But mm. I think she won't be as good as Keith Palmer. And then for Lenina Huxley... Who I have is mostly for the look. Phoebe Dynever, mm -hmm. who is the main, she was the main girl in the first series of Bridgerton. Um, I think she'd be very good. Sophie Turner, I think she's also great. Yeah. And I think she's able to be a bit funny as well. Um, in the flip, uh, Nicholas Holt, who is, oh, he plays, is it Peter? In You know that series, The Great? Oh him, yeah. He plays yeah. the the blue cunt in um X Men. He was the he was Hank, yeah, the blue guy yeah. in X Men, 
And Zac Efron, I think, oh, would yeah. be like a bit of a himbo in this. Yeah. Kenny. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Whoa. <laughs> oh. Whoa. Yo. So yeah, this movie was super fun, super enjoyable. If you haven't seen it and you've still made it all the way through this podcast, please go see it. It's so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And if you have actually made it through this podcast, um, use the the code Teddy Bear to get twenty percent off all the merch. What merch? Uh, there won't be the people won't make it this far, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Best Buy Movies. I had such an enjoyable time. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. So in the meantime, mellow morning to you all. Greetings and salutations. Little hand wave. Be well and uh, be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Bye. Uh, be fucked. <laughs>